Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. So season two, here we are, a new season, a new year. It's all so exciting, and I can't wait to kick it off. Over the break, I was able to converse with so many inspiring individuals from so many different professions and areas, and you'll get to hear from all of them yourself this season. So to begin this new chapter of Handling It, we have the lovely and talented Jamie King as today's guest. Jamie is a model, actress, and producer, known for her roles in The CW's Heart of Dixie, films Sin City and White Chicks, and Netflix's TV series Black Summer, which she also produced. Not only has Jamie been working in the entertainment industry since her teenage years, but she's worked on and starred in such a wide variety of projects. We'll be talking about lessons she learned from those experiences and how it's been filming the upcoming season of Black Summer during the pandemic. You're going to love hearing Jamie's story, so you know what to do. Turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. So today we are joined by the lovely and talented Jamie King. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on and, you know, handling it with us. Happy to. (laughs) Right. So there's so much you've done throughout your career. I I know you as an actress, um, but you really began in the entertainment industry through modeling. What was, I guess, walk us through... um, you're from Nebraska, you get involved in modeling. How did that all come about? I, ever since I was really little, felt like an extreme attraction. Well, not attraction. I loved films. I loved television. I loved music. I loved fashion. It felt like a language that understood me. And growing up in Nebraska, um, I was just a different kind of a kid. I wasn't interested in cheerleading and all these different things I really uh, kind of was very introverted I would say I'm very much like an introvert extrovert and um, you know I never felt like I fit in there some part of me uh, knew what I wanted to do even like before I could articulate it per se and I saw an interview or not an interview, an ad in a local newspaper. I must have been like 12. Mm-hmm. And it said that if you went to a modeling school that you could get to a big city and that you would meet agents. And and really my goal was to get out of Omaha, not because I don't love it, but because I was bullied a lot. I loved the arts and I just saw from a very young age, oh, if I do this, then maybe... Maybe I will be able to work with these artists that can mentor me. Maybe I can pursue what it is that I love. And maybe, you know, I I think it felt strange for someone at that age to have, um, you know, uh, just an innate knowing of what it is that they wanted to do. But it was an interesting sort of, you know, dichotomy between 
what it is that I loved from when I was really little and a need to sort of what I felt like survival in a way like that I didn't fit in this place and and I needed to meet like-minded people mm-hmm. and so I went to the school and met a very famous agent and I was 13 years old and went to New York City with my mom when um, I was really little and stayed there for the summer and it was just one of those, um, it's hard to describe, but it was like, I immediately started shooting with Stephen Klein and Vogue and, you know, all of these, you know, large publications. And, um, and then when it came time to go, I went back to Nebraska when it was time to go like back to a regular school schedule, you know, they explained, you know, your daughter has a real opportunity here and she can do correspondence courses. And, you know, this is something, you know, that that's an option. And, And, you know, that's what I did. Yeah, I find it so interesting because I actually don't know many people from Nebraska. You may, in fact, be the first person from Nebraska I've met. Um, They're like, are you from Oklahoma or Alaska (laughs) or like... Where are you from? So I'm originally from uh, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton. It's sort of where I'm based right now, actually. The Wilkes-Barre Scranton part of Pennsylvania. So if you're familiar with the office. I know Pennsylvania very well. (laughs) And um, I ended up actually, you know, similar story uh, in the sense where I grew up in an area that didn't really have anything I wanted to do for my career. I knew I wanted to be in media um, and some type of entertainment. And I, you know, ended up going to school in New York City and then I, you know, graduated and started working at Fordham in the Bronx. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So um, loved it, you know, majored in journalism and then I graduated and started working in media. Um, But yeah, it's interesting to sort of look at areas where people are from, I think, and see how Did you grow up in Scranton? I did. Yeah, outside of Scranton, like 30 minutes outside of Scranton in a very small town. <laughs> but yeah. I know all about Pennsylvania. There's a yeah. lot of, I spent a lot of time there. So oh, it's, yeah, very, it's, similar. Great. it's yeah. very similar. And so when then did, so after modeling, you did modeling. When did you make the move into film? I started, I did my first film when I was 19. I knew at about the age of 17 that I wanted to transition into filmmaking and at that time it just it really was there was no being a multi-hyphenate it wasn't like you could be a supermodel and a serious actor a singer like it just everything was its own had its own space right so like being a supermodel was you are a supermodel and there was a lot of power in that then especially in the 90s oh yeah you know uh the idea that i want to quit at that quote unquote, height of my career, even though I was 17 years old, seemed insane to people to then what go into Hollywood and to start making films. And how would that even be a possibility when that hadn't been done before? Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. But and what I knew inside of myself is I've been, you know, I'd worked with, you know, every extraordinary artist from, you know, Alexander McQueen to the Tom Fords to the Lagerfelds to the Mizells to Avedon, like Nan Golden, like all of these like some of the greatest artists, um, you know, in, you know, in the fashion industry and in, you know, photography and art. And I learned everything that I felt like I could learn in that medium. And that was always supposed to be a springboard into narrative storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, it was, 
I don't remember exactly. There were certain people that were reaching out to me and that I was reaching out to like producers or studios and things like that. And there was a writer, there's a writer named uh, Daniel Waters and he wrote this film called Heathers, which is one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And he had seen a picture of me in a magazine and wrote a film called Happy Campers and produced by the extraordinary Mike DeLuca and Denise Novi. And so I flew out to LA to audition multiple times and then I got the part. And I knew somehow, again, there was no, like, I didn't have anyone to say, oh, this is the way to navigate this or not. Right. I just knew that if I was going to be an actor or a writer or a filmmaker, that I had to completely leave the fashion industry mm -hmm. and that there had to be a very hard line and a delineation because I just knew that I wouldn't be taken seriously. Right. And so I got the part and I quit that career in fashion and, um, you know, was really lucky because, you know, friends of mine were very, 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 very big actors, um, you know, that I'd met through the fashion industry because of course they're closely related. <laughs> they really mentored me. And so I would sit in with them when they were doing their classes. I would, you know, see when their films would come out. I watched how they navigated, you know, going from one thing to being on the cover of a Vanity Fair to SNL, like, you know, all of these things. And I, and I'm really thankful because, you know, these actors, you know, were really the people that assisted me in understanding, okay, who do I train with? Who do I coach with? Um, you know, what does it mean to, uh, to be an actor? What, what goes into the craft of that? What it goes into the business aspect of it? You know, how do you become a director? How do you become a, all of these different things. And so, um, you know, really, I, I'm very thankful because I had the, the right people around me um, to assist and to be by my side to help me understand this. Right. And, you know, I obviously not a similar situation, but when I was in college, I studied uh, film as a minor um, and I was just so amazed going into it. And I don't think a lot of people realize how many different components there are you know, behind the scenes and what goes into it. So I think it's great that you were able to learn all that before diving into the industry head first, that you had that sort of background knowledge going into it. Yeah. And even when you like, I mean, that I thought was a lot of information, but it's not even until like your first day on set and even up until this day now, after, you know, 22, 23 years in the filmmaking industry, I'm consistently learning and discovering. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember on Happy Campers, they called action. And I remember turning to Justin Long, who was starring in it also. And I was like, wait, what do I do now? He's like, now you act. <laughs> and there's all these little things like, you know, they hand me a grocery bag filled with, you know, items. And I was like, but the grocery bag's not making a sound. It's made out of fabric. It's like all of these right. different, you know, like you're learning about props. You're learning about the different departments, about the grips, the electric, like there are, hundreds, if not thousands of people that, you know, are on set every day facilitating a story and, you know, the audience just sees the end product, but what goes into being able to even get as even get any film or show greenlit in the first place is the blood and sweat and tears of people that have been going after that and trying to do that for decades. So mm -hmm. once a, a, once a film or a show comes out, it may look like, and that's the goal, right? The goal is that it's so effortless and so 
entertaining and moving that the audience doesn't have to think about things like that. Right. Uh, but it's it's like when people think that this is a life that's extraordinarily glamorous, it's really like there are no days off. You know, mm-hmm. I'm working typically, I would say, well, if I'm on set, it's a minimum of 12 hours. Mm-hmm. That's just physically being on set. That's not even, you know, when you wake up in the morning, then the two hours of rehearsal with yourself, the drive to the location. So mm-hmm. at that point, you're at three to four hours and it's a minimum of 12 hours of being on set minimum and typically ends up being like 14 to 15 then you know the drive home then the preparation for the next day plus you have to you know obviously have dinner you know and not to mention the hours are probably all over the place too they're probably not consistent yeah it's like you know if it's for instance like on heart of dixie right heart of dixie Mm -hmm. is a good example because that's a network series that's 22 episodes a year uh so you're filming for 10 months so let's say on a monday you know, my call time would probably be like, let's say 3 a.m. or 3, 12 Mm a.m. at Warner Brothers. So then you're, you're driving to Warner Brothers, like 45 minutes away, get to the studio, then you have hair and makeup and wardrobe. Then you, you know, are on set, let's say, uh, you know, depending on what that look is or what it is that you're doing, you know, 5.36 a.m. And then that, that's when you're, day starts. Your day starts at, at crew call. So if the crew call is 6 a.m., that's technically when your day starts, even though you've been on set for three to four hours before that, right? Mm-hmm. And so it starts very early in the morning on a Monday, specifically with that show. And then because of like, you know, turnaround rules and guilds, <laughs> let's say if we're wrapping at like a 7 p.m. on a Monday, then you need a 12-hour trip. It's very, it's really specific. So by Friday, then your call times are like 11 to noon and then you're filming until midnight. And, you know, then it's, it's, so it's a lot of work and it's. It's not all the glitz and the glamour that you would think. No, it's not. And, and yet that work is to me, it's the most fulfilling thing in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's so fulfilling to me to know that there's all of the pro like that I put my love into so much and that you put your love into so much and that between action and cut is the chance to get everyone's dreams like to come alive and that we can bring that to people and that they can see themselves on screen, that they can forget for a moment or understand that someone else is going through their experience. And the reason why I'm an artist is because all I've ever wanted, like most people, is to be seen, to be heard, and to know that I'm not alone Mm -hmm. and to give meaning to something. And that's what's so powerful about, you know, doing what it is that, you know, we do is so that that people can realize that, like, that's really for me what my life is about is letting people know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I was amazed just looking at your all the different projects you've done. I thought I knew mostly everything you did. And then I was amazed. You're like, you're so versatile. You've done so many different roles, so many different genres. Um, And with that said, has there been, you know, a role or a moment you had when you were, you know, as an actor that you said, this is why I'm doing this. Like, this is why I'm proud to be an actor. Wow. Yes. I mean, so many different times, you know, and that it changes as we grow because, for me, the craft of acting and and not just acting, but really like producing, writing, directing, it's limitless. So mm-hmm. th- 
there is rarely a point where you're like, oh, that's it. Like, I've got it. I like, I'm like, I've reached my excellence, right? Like it's, it, or excellency. It's, you're always going for, for, to be on, to meet the truth. Like, how can I just tell the truth without quote unquote acting where there's no separation between me and the character and it's that real. Right. And Mm -hmm. there's been many moments, um, you know, in my, um, in my, I guess you would say career, but in, you know, in projects where I was playing roles where I had that, you know, sort of, you know, blissful experience. And I would say, you know, most recently, you know, producing and starring in Black Summer for Netflix has really been, you know, the pinnacle for me of, you know, again, over 20 years of, of doing this work. And, and really what I realized is there was this scene that I was getting ready to do and it was a huge setup. It was like hundreds of thousands of dollars and lots of stunts and things like that. And really one take to get it done. And I was going through a lot inside of me personally, you know, COVID was hitting Mm -hmm. and everybody was shutting down. And so it felt like a ticking clock, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like it was so emotional and overwhelming for everyone. And, and I realized like, Oh, there's no, there really truly is no difference between me and Rose right now. Like all I, I don't have to pretend to be her. I don't have to imagine what she's feeling. I'm just going to take the risk in this moment and just, put out there what I, Jamie, what I'm, what I'm feeling right now and just put that into the scene. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it took all of those years of preparation to feel free enough inside of myself to be able to do something like that mm-hmm. and to be around the people, the crew and the cast members where you feel so safe that, you know, no matter what you're going through, you can just put it out there, trusting that it will translate to the audiences in the, in in a way that they understand. And that was Mm -hmm. extraordinarily powerful. Yeah. Well, Black Summer, you brought that up and I'm glad you did because that is a upcoming project. It's season two is coming out soon. And for those who don't know, the show revolves around a zombie apocalypse, which, you know, as I read into the show, read into your character, it's sort of ironic that, you know, you're playing a character living in the zombie apocalypse when we have this pandemic going on in, in reality. Um, did you find any parallels between those two worlds while filming? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, what's interesting is that this was always about a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So then it felt like very prophetic. Right. You know, when I, when I first read the pilot, when I came onto the show, I was like, there was no mention of the word zombies. Mm-hmm. It was about a sickness. People were getting sick. And then in talking to the, the showrunner and then talking to the people involved, it was like, okay, they were researching, you know, MRSA and SARS and pandemics that would hit the lymphatic system. What would that look like? Yeah. So when, even from season one, when you see something of someone quote unquote turning into a zombie, that's actually what it looks like when these people are getting sick with these pandemics. Mm-hmm. I mean, months, again, months of research with this. And really what we were trying or what we explore in this show is, you know, when, you know, we first started doing it, it was like, how do we create something that's really entertaining, but that we're discussing what's happening in our country and what was happening in our country then is obviously, you know, very political. There were kids being taken away from their families at the border. There mm-hmm. obviously the serious racial issues 
um, immigration issues. I mean, everything that we all know about. And we wanted to be able to explore that and what would that look like? And the idea that people are being sick and turning into a quote unquote zombie was really us saying that no one is immune to division and hatred in this country. And that you can, in, in exploring the vulnerability of that, that, you know, it, like whether you're doing something really good or not good, that, that we have to take care of one another. And if we didn't, what would that look like? And also what would people's responses be to a pandemic, right? Like the mm-hmm. first episode, when you watch it, you don't know where I am. You don't know what's happening. I don't even know what's happening. You know, the government's supposedly under control. They're not under control. So when, you know, obviously when the coronavirus started hitting and we're up filming that Zoe and I, um, brilliant actress who plays my daughter, it was very intense because we were doing a scene in very close quarters in, in a closet. And, and, our, and I looked down at my chest and my heart was racing through my shirt. And so was hers. And we we're like, oh, my God, we're like making a movie about the movie about life. It was so visceral and so real. And again, talk about prophetic. Like we'd been living in that world, filming Mm -hmm. about this world for two years. And then, you know, we shut down on March 14th and then we were the first production to go back up for Netflix and the first to make it through COVID clean. And we're going to be coming out in April, May. You know, it was fascinating to produce because I'm the producer of the show as well, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, get a, like to, you know, work with the studio who's so generous, but also understanding the responsibility of what it means when people don't have jobs and people can't go back into production and the responsibilities of that and all of the new rules. It was like, it's like being a pioneer, you know, with, you know, your entire crew and cast and, you know, it requires so much trust um, that people will conduct themselves in a manner where no one gets sick because people need content. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had like the first seven essential workers visas from the prime minister in Canada. And and my key makeup artist, Ashley Levy, like she, she said something that really resonated with me. She's like, oh, for the first time in my life, I felt seen. Because from the outside, one would think, oh, to be a part of our industry is this, again, glamorous or frivolous thing Mm -hmm. when you're a working mom and you're having to travel and be away from your family and all these, you know, gender norms and social norms, et cetera, et cetera. But when, you know, a government literally gives you a visa saying, no, what you do is essential. It was a very powerful experience to be a part of. Yeah. I think it'll be so interesting. I mean, it's already sort of begun, um, you know, the pandemic and it still continues, but 2020 in general, I think the issues we faced and the lessons we have learned from it, I personally think it's going to be really interesting to see how that transpires into media and entertainment and that sort of consumption there. Um, you know, I think just yes, or just over this past week, uh, the new Anne Hathaway movie, Lockdown, it's about the lockdown. I'm excited to watch it. Um, yes. and it'll be, it's going to be exciting to see, uh, you know, what lessons we learned from this whole experience and how that's going to be carried with us through our own individual lives, but also like through what we consume and, you know, messages yeah. that are put out there through entertainment. So 
Yeah, it's like whether people are conscious of it or not, I know, you know, that, for instance, like, let's say there's a, I mean, because there is, there's been a lot of films that were set and ready to go, you know, pre-pandemic or during pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. If you were to take those same scripts or those same shows and say, oh, we're going to make them now, the majority of them would have to be rewritten because we are not looking through the same eyes anymore, nor should we. Humanity, I believe, has changed for forever. You know, even something as simple as, like, you know, being on set and someone grabbing a prop. It's like, even if there's, like, a millisecond where an actor is afraid to grab something because they don't know if someone sanitized something, like, that's real. Yeah. And even, like, in terms of walking down the street, when you see how people are, like, crossing the street when someone's coming and the way that, like, you know, like... There, it's changed even the way that we relate to each other spatially, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and the, what it means to be on a lockdown, what it, what does trust look like? What does it look like to work from home? Like, mm-hmm. you know, when your kids are like homeschooling and the social emotional like aspects that they're missing and yet somehow, at least my kids seem to be like more resilient than the adults. And, you know, we've been taught to consume media in a way that is so supposed to feel so much that we've been that people stop looking inside of themselves people stop we've stopped like taking the time to really go inside mm-hmm. you know when you look at the rates of like anxiety depression like all of these things that have been happening for many years before this it's because there's been so much media so much social media all of these dopamine hits where everyone's gone out to the world for their fulfillment and still wondering why there's such a deep sense of lack. Yeah. Right. And so I find this time as tragic and terrifying and uh, horrific as it's been. I'm doing the best. I, I keep hearing like Carrie Fisher's quote and she, she says, you know, take your broken heart and turn it into art. And mm-hmm. so it's like, just, you know, whatever it is that I can do to take what I'm experiencing inside of me and turn it into something that, you know, I can learn from and grow and expand from, which is really not easy, you know, but try and do something with it because there's a reason why this happened. And, and hopefully it's just, hopefully a lot of it is so that we understand that these moments right now, you and I speaking together, the value of that Mm -hmm. and that, that this has meaning, this has value in this moment. And, you know, it's huge that you have this and that you continue to do this, that you can reach out to people and have conversations Mm -hmm. with them. I doubt that many people even understand what it goes into you doing a podcast like this, what it means for you to have to get, you know, your mic, to get, to edit it, Mm -hmm. to do all (laughs) of your sound, to set it all up, to make sure things are quiet, you know, to try and get through people's teams, to be able to have access to them, to have a meaningful conversation, Mm -hmm. to put what matters to you out in the world. I know what that is for you, but most people don't know what, what, what you've had to do and the work and the love and, you know, the triumph and the strife to, to just be sitting here now talking to me and vice versa. Right. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully we can share that more and, and, you know, really recognize that and say, add a girl, add a boy, add a, they added them, you know, like add everyone for just getting things done right now. 
Well, I keep saying that. I've said it from the very beginning, this whole thing started and seeing restaurants shut down and then seeing restaurants reopen. And, you know, I was living in New York for a good amount of the pandemic. And just, I said, everybody is hustling in their own way throughout this. And I think that's like the most beautiful thing. This Mm -hmm. pandemic, it's been messy and awful and terrible. But I think just opening your eyes to see how hard each and every person works, you know, and- how the community community is everything right now it's all we have (laughs) it's all we have to rely on one another and help each other out um small businesses especially like any working professional like it's we got to rely on one another and I think that's a really important thing about it and even internal community Mm -hmm. because I, I don't know about you but one thing that I'm really recognizing is that we have these like sort of you know social circles and what that looked like right and then it's like okay, when you're really going through it, and I mean really going through it, mm-hmm. who's going to be by your side? Because I've experienced and seen people experience a kind of depression and anxiety and a stuckness that they've never experienced before, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, okay, who who's going to stick by us in these times? Think about all the people that don't have access to a community that, you know, or the bottom line, what I'm trying to say is it's like, the universe to me is editing our lives to let us know like what is really meaningful, you know, and like it really is okay to be really sad when Mm. you need to, it really is okay to be vulnerable. That's our greatest strength. It's like Mm. in the beginning when people were getting on zooms and, you know, trying to figure out how that all worked to then like, you know, people shutting their like, you know, videos off to this or that. And like now, even like Mm. a thing of like, Oh, how are you doing? It's like, I, I really like the idea that we don't have to pretend because I never really liked that in the first place. Right. Yeah. I think it's okay to be sad is like a statement that people should all like realize and understand because even though some people may be healthy, like everybody's suffering or lost something in their own way throughout this, whether it be, you know, I was just talking earlier, like weddings are getting postponed um, yes. kids aren't Some getting to graduate for for yeah. people, people yeah. losing their family members and not able to go see them, mm-hmm. you know, like, right. so just life as we knew it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And whether I mean, individual, but we're collective consciousness. So even if someone's not sad, we're st- like, people are, we're still bearing the weight of, of this human experience together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I completely agree. And You know, at the end of the day, I think it is, like we said, really inspiring to just see people working and being resilient and persevering and getting through it. And yeah, like, sure, there's going to be setbacks. This thing is far from over, unfortunately, but like it's going to end at some point and that we like have to realize it. It's going to end at some point. And when it does, it's going to be great. But until we get there, we got to keep hustling. We got to keep working. Um, and you know, you're doing just that you're still filming. Um, you have another project coming out soon in the works. I'm not sure how much you can say about it, but out of death, um, the upcoming film. Um, so you're doing projects. Is it good to be back in a groove? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's different because it's not like, um, anything I knew before, you know? So Every day is trying. So Out of Death is a film that I just wrapped with Bruce Willis. Um, and, you know, again, it's like 
trepidatious, you, you know, the amount of testing, filming rules that it's like all we're trying to do at this point is just get through each day without someone not getting sick and productions getting shut down. Right. You know, there's our industry is only up at a 20% capacity at best. Um, and in the, you know, I'm also uh, announcing my production company, who have been dreamers with my partner, Emma and Sola, and, you know, that was years in the making, and so really um, just happy and excited, you know, for, like, during this time that, you know, we can be writing scripts and polishing material and preparing our slate Mm -hmm. and, you know, just keep on keeping on, you know, and one thing that I've really seen that's pretty extraordinary is, you know, the willingness for, you know, stories by women and for women and um, people of color, you know, that that diversity change is actually starting to happen. Mm-hmm. And like it, it's seemingly overnight, but obviously it's not because it's never really happened before. But mm-hmm. that's one thing like to me, that's the most exciting thing because I've been seeing that over the past few months and it feels sort of like a strange dream come true. And I think it took in a lot of ways, this pandemic, all the activism, all the protests, all of the, you know, like, you know, just everything that's happened is, you know, yes, this pandemic will be over at some point. Do I think things will ever look the same? No, I'm going to be frank. I don't think they will. Um, However, out of, you know, great, uh, you know, struggles, to say the least, beautiful things have been birthed from them. And, and that's what I'm seeing is that even during this time, uh, very, very extraordinary, beautiful changes are happening. And, um, and so that part makes me very hopeful. Yeah. And, you know, it's really inspiring because just thinking about what you said at the beginning of our conversation, talking about your journey into the industry, and you talked about modeling and, uh, going into acting and you said it's hard to cross over because with entertainment, it's hard to cross into different uh, roles, different positions. But like you just said there, and we've had so many women in film on the podcast in the past, I think it's absolutely amazing that we have actors who are becoming producers, who are becoming directors and taking on wearing so many different hats. I think it's great. And I think it's just going to, you know, increase from there. Um, there's oh, been so, so many. Yeah. Because it's not like people, it's not like women didn't want to do that before. Mm-hmm. That's all I ever wanted to do, right? So, like, you know, the past, I would say, like, 10 to 15 years, you could be a multi-hyphenate, but if you're a woman in the film industry, it still didn't translate, right? Like, it's very, less than 2% of directors are women, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm now set to direct three features. Mm-hmm. You know, this happened in the past two months, and not because it's like, oh, we just need a woman. No, I've been working on this for, you know, 22 years, Right. to have the ability to even direct one feature, mm-hmm. even though I've been producing for years, writing for years, I've directed things before. It's like, then now it's like, oh, wow, to be given permission because people are all of a sudden like, oh, God, like we've been doing it in a way that's not working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's very surreal. Yeah, It's very surreal. No, and it's, it's so exciting. Um, just, I mean, just even recently during the pandemic, I know it's, hard with releases, but there's been so many films that have come out, uh, female directors, uh, female produced, I know promising young woman. I can't wait to see that personally. Um, and just with everything it's 
so exciting with music, like so much. There's like so many industries. Women are, well, Taylor launching, like releasing two albums. Like it's absolutely incredible. And I feel like women are just writing their own rules and it's amazing because there is no rule book. It's just the rules. There's a rule book. Right. Let's be real about that. There's been a, a rule book, and those right. rules always change according to the patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's our 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 willingness to subscribe to a quote unquote rule book. Exactly. And I think we're just not willing to do that anymore. Yeah. I think we're burning them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And rewriting our own as we should be. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been so great, Jamie. And, you know, like we said, you have so many upcoming projects coming out and it's amazing to hear, you know, your step into production. I love that. (laughs) I love to hear it. Um, So I always like to conclude by asking, you know, with this being handling it, what's a piece of advice or a lesson you've learned throughout your career that's really helped you handle your life? Hmm. That just because something doesn't feel easy doesn't mean that it's not right for you. Meaning that I really look throughout my life, my career, personally, professionally, on every aspect of it. And, you know, I've had so much grace and so much, you know, extraordinary fortune coming from really nothing, you know, and or where I was born and how I was raised. And it's like, you know, when things feel like they're never going to come or they're really hard and difficult, you know, it's okay to sit with that because Mm -hmm. if it still resonates with your heart and that's what you love to do, just keep going for it. It's perseverance, it's resilience. And I promise that if you continue to move forward, that which you love to do, that which you have a dream for, no matter how many times you get knocked down, like there is elasticity, you know, and you'll learn how to get up quicker. And, you know, that will always be a process. But my piece of advice truly would be that if you, if you know in your heart, you're meant to do something and want to do something that you will be supported in that, not only by the universe, but you will attract people that will help you even when you think it's never going to be possible. But the results when you do do that thing will be extraordinary and worth it. Yeah. And I think you need those hardships. You need rejection. You know, you need to be struggling. (laughs) You need to wonder like how you're going to pay bills. Like, oh my gosh. Like it sucks, but you need that to sort of get to where, to be the best version of yourself, I believe. Like everybody has to struggle. You can't just skate through life easily. I mean, you can. No, I mean, for each thing that I've gotten, there's been, I'm not kidding you, hundreds, if not thousands of times where I was told them. Yeah. But there's a, but you just keep getting back in the room. You Mm -hmm. keep going, you keep going, you keep going. Right. Yeah. You know, it's with everything. I know so many people right now just with jobs, just working in general and applying for jobs in this pandemic. Some of my friends are like waiters and waitresses or like bartenders, like, they're on furlough. Like they're like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like they're, I mean, in, in every, it does every, every industry, you mm-hmm. know, it's like people are really struggling, you know, right. and, and that again, going back to community, 
right? Going back to community and appreciating the people that are working at the grocery stores that where you can, like, it's like mm-hmm. each and every person, like anyone that's able to work at this time, it's, it's a cherished thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And the other thing I'm really noticing that like, I, I do want to say is like, I don't know why this just came to mind is that if you have a feeling, if people have a feeling that they, if they're thinking about someone or just have a feeling about someone that they know, just like send a text and reach out because that's happened with me in times that I really needed it during this pandemic where like I've got really gone through it and I have a really hard time asking for help. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done everything. I've been working obviously since I was really little. I have supported myself, raised myself and, you know, feel like the majority of my talent really lies in uplifting other people. And yet it's very hard for me to ask, you know, for help for myself because mm-hmm. I'm used to doing it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shouldn't be that way. And those moments when someone would just send me a text to say like, Oh, how are you? Do you need anything? That that's like a very, very powerful, significant thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm finding that, you know, through other people, when they've received that from their friends or family members, that that's really moved them. So, right. yeah. And I think now especially in a time when we're not surrounded by people, it doesn't mean stop talking to people. It means talk more to people and pick up the phone, make a phone call, go on a FaceTime, like try and talk face to face if you can, but just, you know, be there for others because we're. And be there for also. yourself. Like yeah. it's hard. Mm-hmm. Self-care when Sunday. I like, summer in quarantine, and I had a quarantine for two weeks. I thought mm-hmm. I was losing my mind. I couldn't even like pick up the phone to talk to my friends. I was like so severely depressed. I was like, what's wrong with me? I didn't understand. Yeah. I was like, could barely even form a sentence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a lot hard. of people are going through that thing where it's like even very simple things are extraordinarily difficult and overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too, because that'll pass, you know, but so even if you don't feel like you can reach out, you know. I don't know why I'm saying this. I'm just saying because I think it's important. No, it is. Like every, and everybody's going through it in one way or another, whether it's, you know, parents working from home and having to help their kids learn from home, you know, (laughs) or, you know, yeah, people who, you know, have to convert their whole restaurants into like outdoor dining, like everybody's struggling in their own way. Um, And it's just important to realize that and then be there for one another. So. And that the the beautiful thing about that is that hopefully this is part of what we're learning here, mm-hmm. you know, is that it hopefully it brings us all back more on the same level again, Definitely. you know, where we start to appreciate, really appreciate. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jamie, thank you so much. This was so great. I can't wait to see all this new and amazing stuff uh, that you're Very in well. and that you're going to be producing. It'll be so exciting. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. All right, guys, I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Jamie and learning about her journey with acting and producing. For years, so many women have been killing it with their work in the film and television industry, and I'm just so glad that recently the industry and society is finally taking the time to recognize and highlight their work. So with that said, I'm going to leave a link in the episode description to Black Summer on Netflix so you can check it out. Thank you to Jamie so much for coming on, and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. 
As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at handlingitpodcast and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.